Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15 as we continue on in our study of the gospel of Mark. We are going to be reading verses 42 verse through to verse 47 to the end of the chapter. Chapter. It's going to be a long morning, I can already tell. Um, let us read this together. The Word of God says this, When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, and a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time. And summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he, had already was, he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth and took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, who were looking on to see, they were looking on to see where he was laid. Please be seated. At this time, we would invite the children to head out to Children's Church. So if you are one of our little ones, you can head towards the back. I'm, no one's moving, so I'm getting the feeling like they already have, because no one waited for me to dismiss. Except for there's Emmett. What's up, Emmett? Hi. Good to see you, buddy. It's interesting, as we look at this text, today we are talking specifically about the burial of Jesus. And, you know, last week we talked about the, uh, the crucifixion, and, and because of that, and in light of talking about the crucifixion, we celebrated one of our ordinances as a church, which is the Lord's Supper. And we did so because... The Lord's Supper is a memorial, it is a celebration reminding us of Christ's death. In fact, if we look at 1 Corinthians, it says we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Today, we are studying and we're looking into his burial and we again celebrate one of our ordinances as a church that also speaks to this very thing. And we did that this morning when we celebrated the baptism. In fact, if we look at the text, going into, further into the New Testament in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it reads, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You may have even heard it from the microphone as, as Matthew was going down into the water that we say to him, buried with him in baptism. And praise be to God, we don't finish it there, but say, and risen again to new life. Part of this baptism that we have all witnessed today and the testimony that Matthew has given us through his words is a reminder that Christ died and that he was buried. With that in mind, we dive into our passage today, and much like last week, as is the stylings of Mark, we don't get a lot of theological speculation from him. He doesn't give us a whole lot of this fulfills that and this fulfills that, but he just gives us the facts. This is what happened when Jesus was buried. It might lead us to ask the question, 
what is so important about his burial that Mark even felt the need to record it at all. I mean, if we even think about it more often than not, we don't celebrate much about Jesus burial. We celebrate his birth at Christmas. We celebrate the crucifixion on Good Friday. We celebrate so certainly the resurrection, not only on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday as we gather in God's house. But not a lot of attention is given to the empty tomb or even to the tomb at all. And yet we see in all of the Gospels the reality that Jesus was buried. Well, today I want us to think a little bit about this passage and a little bit about the fact that Jesus was buried and why that might matter to us even today. First, I want to say that it matters because it reminds us that Jesus died. That might seem a little obvious, but we have to really think about this. Guys, there is no resurrection if there is no death. Mark certainly wanted his readers to understand that Jesus actually died. That there was nothing, there was no mistake that happened. It wasn't that Jesus, as some might propose today, that Jesus swooned and just on the cross he kind of passed out and he looked dead. And so they took him down and then he kind of revived himself and came out of the tomb. He'd made a mistake. There were some who, who tried to argue this, but if we look at the text, we begin to realize that couldn't have happened. Verse 44 and 45, it even says, Pilate wondered if he was dead. So he sent for the centurion who was there at the cross, who witnessed it all, who was in charge of making sure that everyone who gets nailed to a cross dies because they were nailed to that cross. That was his job. And this centurion is suddenly getting a call from the man. And has to go in before the man. And as we see here, he says that, that he asked whether he was already dead in verse 45. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. The centurion had confirmed the fact that Jesus was dead. As we begin to look into other accounts and in other gospels in John 19, we read these words. It says, then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, um, for the Sabbath was a high day, they asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and they broke the legs of the first man and the other who was crucified with Jesus. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that they saw that he was already dead, so they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. It is very possible that the very same centurion that had come and spoke to Jesus, or excuse me, spoke to Pilate about him being dead, could have been the one who pulled out his spear, went up to Jesus, looking at him, making sure he was dead, and then went ahead and pierced him in the side to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus had died. Either way, these soldiers were experts at what they did. Undoubtedly, the centurion that came in to report to Pilate 
knew what he was doing. This was not the first crucifixion he had performed, nor would it be the last. And they knew the difference between a dead man and one still living as they hung from the cross. I have to speculate for just a moment and wonder what Joseph thought as he was standing before Pilate. See, Joseph was very much so scared of Pilate. In fact, we see in verse 43 that it says that he had to gather up the courage to go before him and request the body. Imagine for just a moment if you were him or really any of the apostles or the women that had been following around and, and you, you've seen Jesus, he's dead, he's the man that you've been following, he's the man that you had put your hope and your trust into and now he is hanging lifeless from a cross and, and all you can think is, is I just want to do right by him one last time. And you go in front of Pilate and this person who, if he found out that you were followers, he could have hurt you or imprisoned you or done something else. And you said, hey, can I have the body of Jesus since he is dead and since we need to take them down off the cross anyways, can you give him to me? Now, I had read that, that in Roman culture, when you were crucified, they didn't take you down at all. But what the Romans like to do is nail you to a cross, and even after you died, they left you there. And you literally just rotted or became f food for birds. Now, because they were in Jerusalem and they were working with Jews, the Jews did not allow that. Their faith would not allow you to do such a thing, so they would take him off the cross. And specifically this time, they had to take them off the cross because they couldn't have people being crucified, dying during the Sabbath day. Ironically, we could probably understand that they viewed if you were on a cross trying to breathe because you were being crucified, that might constitute work and you'd be breaking the law. I'm sure that people on the cross could have cared less. But so he goes and he asks, can I, can I have the body of Jesus? Can I take him so I can I do right by him one last time? And then there's this moment where he says, well, is he even dead? Do you think that there might have been just a glimmer of hope in Joseph in that moment? Well, I thought he was, but he said things and maybe, maybe there's a chance that maybe he's still alive, maybe. And then to have the centurion come in and, and they say, did Jesus die? Is he dead? And have the centurion look him and go, oh yeah, he's dead. And see that last little ember of hope snuffed out. And the person that you had so desperately wanted to be your Messiah was dead and gone. And make no mistake, to the Jewish people at this time, when you died, you were dead and gone. As I was thinking about this, I called to mind a, a passage from Job that we had studied as we've been doing Sunday school these last few weeks. And it says this in Job chapter 14, but man dies and lies prostrate. Man expires, and where is he? As water evaporates from the sea and a river becomes parched and dried up, so man lies down and does not rise. Until the heavens are no longer, he will not awake, nor be aroused out of the deep. 
See, for all of the people there, all of the followers of Jesus, for the women that would have been paying attention to all that was going on, Joseph of Arimathea, even Peter and John and James and all of the rest of the disciples, this was the end. There was no more Messiah. There was no more redemption. There was no more hope for eternity. There was only hopelessness. And death standing in victory. I imagine all of us here, and in some way, shape, or form, can understand that feeling. And brothers and sisters, I bring that up because I, I want us to understand something. This is our life apart from Christ. Our life apart from Christ, if we remain apart from Christ, we are dead. We are hopeless. Death stands in victory over us. But Christ did not stay dead. And because he is alive, even today, we have to go to a world that is hopeless with hope. Another reason why this passage matters and why it matters that he, was, that he died and he was buried was, well, believe it or not, it tells us the location of his burial. Now, believe it or not, it tells us where he was buried and gives us details about his, him being buried and about the tomb, though in truth, we don't know exactly where it is. It wasn't like it said, take a left on Bleecker and, and you'll get there. You know, this isn't go down Mulberry and take a right over on uh, College Avenue. We don't get those kind of details, but we do get details about where Jesus was laid to rest. Believe it or not, there are still people today and trying to understand and justify and, and, and understand how this, this all could have happened, have made theories that say something along the lines of, well, uh, maybe they just got the wrong tomb. And they thought they went to Jesus' tomb, but they actually went to the wrong tomb, and that's why they couldn't find Jesus' body. And they just, it was just a, a big, huge misunderstanding. But the details of our passage reveal that all those involved knew exactly where Jesus was buried. See, Joseph of Arimathea didn't just disappear. He lived in Jerusalem. He, he was on the high council in Jerusalem. He had put a place for him to be laid to rest in Jerusalem. He was there. He wasn't going to mix it up. The women were, were there. They observed it. They knew exactly where it was and exactly what it looked like. And, and this was something important to them because of what they planned to do in the days to come. Our passage gives us the details that Jesus bought, or excuse me, Joseph bought linen wrapped him in that linen, and laid him in a tomb that was specifically cut out of the rock and to which he had fashioned a large stone that would be able to roll in front of the entrance. Matthew 27.60 tells us that not only was this tomb cut out of the rock with this large stone, but it was also a brand new tomb, one that nobody had ever been put in before. And so this was, new, this was a new build, if you will. 
And, and, and if we think about it, even just from our modern perspective, as we're driving down the road and suddenly we pass maybe a street we haven't visited a while and we notice a new home or a new business or just a new building that is there and we didn't know it was there, we're like, oh, wow, look at that. That's new. And that's exactly what we have here. The women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, they had followed the whole proceedings and knew everything that was happening was there when Jesus was hung down and, and they followed as, as he was wrapped up and as he was taken to the tomb and as the tomb was, as the stone was rolled in front of the tomb. They may have even stayed a little, a little bit longer to see what they described in Matthew as they sealed the tomb and put things over it to make sure that it was, it was sealed up shut, shut and tight so that no one could mess with it. And they saw all of that and then they said, okay, now we know where he is. And we'll come back in a few days to prepare the body and pay our final respects. They didn't go to the wrong tomb. Because there's only going to be one tomb with the seal around it, with guards in front of it. That was a new tomb. That was Joseph's tomb. See, Jesus had most certainly died. And he was definitely buried. But that kind of brings us back to the question. Why was the fact that he was buried so important? And the answer is quite simple. Because Jesus told him, told all of them, that he would be buried. In Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 39, we read these words of Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. And yet no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster... So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, Jonah's story was an example of what Christ would do. He wanted them to call to mind who Jonah was and what Jonah's story was as they saw him crucified and placed in the tomb. Jonah spent three days in the belly of the fish or sea monster, as we read from Jesus' own words. One could only suggest or believe that, that anybody who had been uh, swallowed up by any sort of sea animal would surely have drowned. If the water did not get to them, then the pressure of the deep most certainly would. I believe with every fiber of my being that every single sailor on the boat that, that Jonah was on on its way to Tarshish thought, that guy is a goner. He. And yet, Jonah would ultimately come out of that very same fish. In fact, we see that, that Jonah is ultimately vomited out of the fish and very much so alive. So too, Jesus would come out of that very same grave. Very much so alive. Jonah would do all of this ultimately to proclaim the good news of the gospel. 
and to see a people far from God repent. And so too Jesus would rise from the grave, proclaim the good news, and see many people far from God believe and repent. So the, mar- so the burial matters. And it matters because the burial points to the resurrection and God's forgiveness to those who repent. Even in Jesus' words, as he talks about the, the sign of Jonah, he's talking about the fact that there are people far from God who need to hear the good news of God and believe and repent from their sins. And so he gives them this sign. He says, the exact same thing that happened to Jonah is what's going to happen to me, only instead of the deep and in the ocean, it will be death and the grave. But just as Jonah came out to preach the good news, so too Jesus would come out. And the good news would go forth, not only from Jesus' mouth, but all those who would believe. This is why... The burial is even important as we communicate the gospel. In fact, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 about the gospel, and he said this, For I delivered to you that which was of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. All of that is necessary for the gospel because all of it ties in to this good news of the gospel. The fact that Jesus walked out of that tomb is crucial for us as we understand the good news. The last reason why I think this passage is is important to us And and for us to study and to think about is it shows us that unlikely people are important in the kingdom. This is indeed a theme throughout the gospel of Mark. And I want you to just take a moment and notice who the key people are concerning the burial of Christ. First, we have Joseph of Arimathea. Verse 43 states that Joseph was a prominent member of the council. And what it means by that is the Sanhedrin. It means that that he was very much so aware of the false accusations that had been leveled against Jesus. He was very much so aware of how his colleagues and his peers and contemporaries had stirred up the crowd to move them to crucify Jesus. He knew of their jealousy towards them. He may have even been present when they gathered to accuse him and bring him before Pilate. Joseph represented the very enemies of Christ at the crucifixion. And yet here he is taking a huge risk, not only in front of Pilate, but in front of his peers to honor Jesus with a proper burial in a proper tomb. We also have these women who are only mentioned at the very, very end, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, who are looking on to see where he was laid. As we look at other gospel accounts, we understand that there were others also, but all of them were women who stayed by, who tarried to make sure that they knew what happened to Jesus and to his body. 
they also were not the type of people you would expect to be important. As we understand the culture and we understand the time uh, that, that this was being written, women were not viewed as reliable witnesses and reliable sources. They were seen as unimportant. They couldn't have property or, or land. They couldn't do a lot of the things that, that maybe we can do today. Even as Mark was writing his gospel several years later, but not as many as you think, and relaying these stories, there would have been an understanding, well, women are not reliable witnesses. Their testimony has little value. And in fact, women were viewed as generally emotional and untrustworthy. And yet their testimony and their presence, even here, shows that they were crucial to the spread of the good news regarding the resurrection. So why is this important? It is because they remind us that the gospel is not just for the theologically inclined. That the gospel is not just for the super churchy or the overly righteous. They are not, the gospel is not just for the important people and the powerful people, for those that are well thought of. But the gospel is, in fact, for everybody. The gospel is for those who are far from God. It is those who have been in enmity towards God, for those who are angry at God and, and have, have been angry towards God. It is for those who have been marginalized, unimportant, overlooked by society as a whole. That means that the gospel is for you. And the gospel is for me. When the good news goes forth from the enemies of God and the overlooked of society, then we can take hope that that means the good news is for us and that we cannot and we will not be overlooked by God as either unimportant or unworthy of this good news. Perhaps the best news of this passage is that it doesn't end. But next week we will continue on into chapter 16. And while Jesus may very well be dead, wrapped up and sealed in a tomb, this may be Friday night. But Sunday is coming. And the good news that we have, that we can even see in this passage, will come to its fullness in the resurrection. Praise be to God, I did not just leave Matthew down in the water until he stopped moving. His dad might have suggested it, but I didn't do it. But just as Matthew came up out of that water, and as we say, risen again to new life, so too Jesus comes out of this tomb. And whether you are righteous or a sinner, rich or poor, powerful or marginalized, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is for you. And that salvation through faith in Christ is extended to you today.
We explain the gospel a, a, a very consistent way in our church because we, don't, we not only want you to hear it, but we want you to memorize it and be able to recite it and tell other people. And we, we do that by, by showing you three circles. And the first of those three circles says that God has a design. We literally believe that, that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth and he made everything on purpose with a purpose, including the passage we read today and including you. And that you were made on purpose with a purpose. And, and to be honest, if we would just walk in the design that God had for us, we'd be good. But we don't. Because we have our own ideas of what our purpose and our design is. And we have our own ideas of what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live. And so we say, God, I understand you have a design, but I like my design. And we leave God's design for our life. And when we do that, that's called sin. Sin is when we do what we do when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and we don't pay much attention to what God wants from our lives. And sin, as you can see from our picture, is taking us somewhere. And that somewhere is a place called brokenness. There's been a lot of times in my life where I have used something not the way it was intended. One time I was trying to fix a water heater, and in the midst of me trying to fix it, I was basically using a screwdriver for torque was not made for that purpose, and that screwdriver broke in two, flipped up, and hit me right in the forehead. That screwdriver was officially broken. And guys, when we depart from God's design for our life and we try to create our own design, we find ourselves broken. And the Bible says that that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death and and we can think about those passages but I just want you to ask yourself this right now do you feel broken sometimes do you ever feel like you're just not doing what you should be doing do you ever feel like you're just not where you should be in life or that you're just not living up to maybe the standards that even you have set for yourself guys that's brokenness that's the brokenness that we're talking about. And we feel that deep inside of ourselves. And we try to do a bunch of things to alleviate that broken feeling. Those are what those squiggly lines are. We may try to be overly righteous and religious, knowing full well we'll fall short. We may try to numb that feeling with drugs or alcohol, but it doesn't work. We may even try to pass on that feeling and say, well, I'll find my worth in my children. And if they're successful and if they do this and that, then I won't feel broken anymore. But it doesn't work. See, the reality is, is we can't fix our brokenness from a place of brokenness. And so we need something outside of us to deliver us from our brokenness. And this is where the gospel comes in. The gospel is the good news that God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That, God li that Jesus lived the perfect life to die a sacrificial death for your sins and for my sins and that he was buried and that Jesus came forth from that grave in the resurrection for everlasting life. And we need to figure out how do we get from brokenness to that gospel. And Romans 10, 9 tells us the answer to that question, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. 
we understand that to mean to repent and believe. First, I would say we need to believe. We need to believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, that he was God in the flesh, that he did die on a cross, and he did get buried in that tomb, and he did rise from the grave and walk right out of that tomb. And he was seen by Mary Magdalene and Peter and John and James, his brother, and even Paul. We have to believe that in our heart. And then we have to confess Jesus as Lord. That means that that word repent means to turn. And so we turn away from our sin and our desires and our brokenness. And we turn to Christ. And we say, Christ, I am going to start following you now and not my own way. And the Bible says that if we will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And through the gospel, we will be able to recover and pursue God's design for our life. See, that's exactly what Matthew did this morning. He had believed in the gospel. He had confessed Jesus as Lord. And in his baptism this morning, he said, I am beginning the process of recovering and pursuing God's will with my life. And what Matthew has done and we have seen through the baptismal waters is offered to you today. If you look at our picture this morning, and if you really ask yourself the question, where am I? And you recognize that you're still in your brokenness, that you're still trying to fix it, but it's not working. And you have heard the good news of the gospel this morning, and you are ready to believe and turn to Christ. Then we invite you to do that this morning. We are going to have a time of prayer and we are going to have our praise band come up. I guess it's not a praise band. Our worship team, that's a, elevated it a little bit there. Our worship team come up and we are going to sing one more song. And whether God is calling you to surrender your life to Christ or maybe rededicate or join in fellowship with his church or even follow Christ's example that we saw in Matthew and get baptized yourself. However, God is speaking to you today. We invite you to respond. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we praise you for the good news that we see today. And that God, even in the darkest moment, even when we think that all hope is lost, we recognize that you are still at work and that you are still accomplishing your perfect will and that God, you are still proclaiming the gospel even when things are dark, even when things are hopeless. Even when so many around us question it. God, it is my hope and my prayer today that if there is anyone in this room who needs to surrender their lives to Christ, that they would do so. And God, I pray with all of my heart that we would see that there is good news even in the burial of Christ. And that we would lean on that good news and that we would trust in that good news. And God, that we would find hope in that good news. Lord, we ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.